So welcome everybody, we're glad you're here this morning. We'll see how long we get to do this. Hopefully uh, we don't have rain over the next several Sundays and we just get to keep doing this. And uh, maybe some of the people that are still um, sitting at home in their pajamas watching on TV, uh, maybe they'll decide to join us when they find out the fun that this was. So if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn with me to Micah chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament, Micah chapter 6. Now if I were to say that the name of the person that Julie mentioned at the beginning of service this morning, every one of you would know his name, George Floyd. Every one of you have heard. You've seen the video. You know the story. And you know there's probably not a pulpit in the United States this morning that will not mention his name and speak on this topic today. You know, the evil that was perpetrated against him from someone in power has gripped our nation. And people are responding in many different ways. Some have peacefully protested, some have looted and assaulted, some have retaliated against the police. But what is the Christian response? What are we as Christians called to do? This Old Testament book that I want to read from this morning was meaningful to me as I contemplated it, and I pray that it's meaningful to you as well. Because as I said earlier in the, in the service, you know, our land needs healing today. So here's the verse. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and it says, He has showed you, God has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God says to them here, there are three things I'm looking for from these people. I think he's looking for these same three things for me and you. Let me give you a little bit of history, okay? Just so you know the context in which Micah is writing. Micah is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, not because his message is minor, but because the message is a shorter message than that of some of the major prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And he's writing to the southern kingdom of Judah around 700 BC. You might remember after the death of Solomon, King David's son, that the kingdom was divided in two with Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Israel had already fallen. They had sinned so, so badly against God that he, he turned away from them and they had fallen. Meanwhile, Judah, the kingdom to which he is writing to, had this brief moment that they had renewed interest in following God. But it lasted only a few years. Now Micah writes to them because he is seeing them, Israel, seeing them, Judah, act the same way that Israel to the north had acted before their fall. Another interesting note is that he's writing to an affluent society in pursuit of all the wrong things. This story is very relevant to us today. Now, I'm going to read a lengthier portion of that passage because I want you to notice how it's a conversation between God and the people. Here's the way it reads. It says, hear, O mountains, God is speaking, hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. This is what he says. He says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. Didn't I bring you out of Egypt and redeem you from the land of slavery? I sent Moses and Aaron to lead you. My people, do you remember what Balak, the king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered? 
Remember the, your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord? Now, okay, so I know when I've read that, you're wondering, okay, who are these people and where are these places? This is basically what God is saying. Okay, God is saying, look, I brought you out of slavery. I gave you great leaders like Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I turned things around for your good because Balaam was supposed to prophesy against the people and he ended up blessing the people. He said, I brought you to a good place. Shittim was the place where they were before they crossed over the Jordan and entered to the promised land. Gilgal was the place that they landed in the promised land. So he's saying, look, I brought you from this place to this place. I gave you great leaders. I've been so good to you. And notice what the people's response is to the Lord when he says that. He says, here's the people's response. They say, with what shall we come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings and, a, and with calves a year old? I will come. Will, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? So here's the, here's, the, here's the paraphrase of what they're saying to God. So God is saying, look, I've been so good to you. How come you're acting this way towards me? And the people respond, Oh God, you've been so good to us. What should we do? Now, did you notice the sarcastic tone in the people's response to God? He's, they say, do you want us to, you know, sacrifice burnt offerings? Oh, how about a thousand rams? Should we offer them? How about all the oil in the world? Shall we give that to you? Oh, okay. If that's not enough, should I give you my firstborn? Sarcastically answering the Lord. Here's the deal. They are thinking religiously. But God wants them to get to the heart of the matter. Because the psalmist said in the Old Testament in Psalm 40, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. He said in Psalm 51, he said, you don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. So the people are thinking religiously, oh, okay, what kind of sacrifice do I have to make to appease God? You know, should I give him more, burn oil before him, give him my firstborn, you know, sacrifice a thousand lambs or rams, what shall I do? And God says, no, that's not it. He responds by telling them, I want you to do these three things. Here's the three things that God wants us to do. This is our homework for this week, class. You ready for it? Three things. Oh, by the way, I found out why so many of you love drive-in church. Everybody said this week, that was so much fun. Can we do it again? Can we do it again? Sure, we'll do it again. And then I, I, I put it all together. I found out why. Because I preached the shortest message in the history of my life last Sunday. And you're hoping for the same thing today. But here's the three things that God said I want you to do. The first thing he said, I want you to act justly. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly. Justice is not only a biblical mandate, it's also a societal mandate. You know, since our form of government was based on biblical principles, the concept of justice is even in our constitution. Equal justice under the law. We even say it in our Pledge of Allegiance. Let me see if you remember it. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Somebody had a flag out here this morning. Of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So what does this word justice mean then? 
It means to do the right thing. Even when it costs you, we do the right thing because we are following God's directive here. What did he say to the people? He said, forget the sacrifices. Forget the religious things you're doing. How about let's get to the heart of the matter and act justly. That justice would flow from us. You know, there's a couple stories in the Old Testament where we see David, King David, before he was king, acting justly, even when he didn't have to, but he knew it was the right thing to do. Do you remember the story when Saul, who was the king then, David was going to be his replacement. The prophet had already prophesied that David would be the next king. Well, Saul was after David and wanted to kill him because he was threatened by him. And one, one of the stories is that Saul goes into a cave to, as the Bible says, relieve himself. And it says in the text that David crept in behind him and cut off a corner of his robe. But then after David did just that, now he could have killed him. But he, all he did was cut off a corner of the king's robe. And here was David's response just to that. He said, it says, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of the king's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift up my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. See, David knew that his simple act of just cutting the corner of the king's robe was not doing the right thing. See, David knew there was a right way to ascend the throne and there was a wrong way to ascend the throne. And David was determined to act justly. He had another opportunity to kill him where Saul was asleep in the camp and David and his men snuck up and they actually had the king's sword and they could have killed him. And David said, no, again, there's a right way to ascend the throne and there's a wrong way to ascend the throne. So the first thing that God says to the people here, he said, look at, if you want to know what I'm looking for from you is to act justly. What is the right and just thing to do, even if it costs you something, that is what God is requiring of us. Second thing he says, he says, I want you to love mercy. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy. Mercy is defined as kindness or favor or good deed or compassion. I want you to love those things. Interesting note, you know the word mercy is used 300 times in the Bible? The word grace only shows up 176. The word forgive only shows up 112. And the word hell only shows up 54 times. How many of you know God was serious about mercy? 300 times. But what grabbed me in the text is, he said, I want you to act justly, but I want you to love mercy. Now I want you to think with me of the things that you love. I love a nice filet on the grill. I will have one this afternoon. I will love it. I will, I will love it when my kids go get me a Reese's peanut butter blizzard from Dairy Queen. I will love it. I love a day at the beach. But here in the text he said, I want you to love mercy. How do we move in the direction of loving mercy? That, you know, kindness, favor, good deeds, compassion. How do we move in the direction of loving it? 
Well, I think number one, we should maybe figure out that it was God's mercy upon us that brought us into his kingdom. It says this in Ephesians chapter 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in, guess what the word is, mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So it says there in the text, God had mercy on me even when I was dead in sin and gave me life in Christ even when I didn't deserve it. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what you do deserve. It's like going 80 miles an hour in a 60 mile per hour zone and getting pulled over and you don't get a ticket. You didn't get what you did deserve. That is mercy. So he says, I want you to act justly and I want you to love mercy. How do we move in the direction of loving mercy? Realize the mercy that God has had on us. How many of you know God's been merciful to you? Second thing I want you to know if we want to move in the direction of loving mercy is that there's actually a blessing attached to being merciful. The Bible says in Matthew's gospel, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This word merciful here in that text in Matthew's gospel, it means to have a forgiving spirit and a compassionate heart. It's showing mercy and being benevolent. It's forgiving those who are wrong. Yet it is much more. It's empathy. It's getting right inside the person and feeling right along with him. It's a deliberate effort. The act of the will to understand the person and to meet his need by forgiving and showing mercy. It's the opposite of being hard, unforgiving, and unfeeling. God forgives those who forgive others. And a person receives mercy when he is merciful. So he says, I want you to move in the direction of loving mercy. Now, how many of you know everything our country is facing right now today? Riots, looting, protests, the murder of a man at the hands of a police officer. All of this, all of it could have been eliminated if we had done just those first two things. How many of you know that officer did not love justice? He was not doing the right thing. He didn't love mercy. He had no mercy on the man whose knee he had on his neck. No justice, no mercy. You've probably seen this prayer for justice. It's been all over the internet. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to read it to you. It says, Heavenly Father, our hearts are heavy, broken, Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear where your spirit is working. Help us to see every person the way you see them. Break our heart for what breaks yours. God, let us not merely say that we love each other. Give us the, stre give us the strength to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. Let your justice, that's what grabbed me about this, let your justice roll like waters. Let your righteousness and your love flow from us like rivers of living water. Purify our hearts, Lord, and give us and fill us with genuine hunger for justice and mercy and true peace. Heavenly Father, let justice and mercy start with me. Whoever wrote this prayer must have been thinking of Micah's words. God's word through the prophet Micah to the people. Here's what I want you to do. Justice. Act justly. Love mercy. Third thing he says, he says, and to walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. You know, 
Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking more of somebody else. It's not thinking less of me. It's thinking more of you. You remember what Paul, when he wrote to the church at Philippi, said? In Philippians chapter 2, he said, In humility, consider others better than yourself. You know, humility is probably the one virtue that once you think you have it, you've lost it. You can't be proud of your humility. How many of you got that? To walk humbly simply means to walk as Jesus walked. Because Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am gentle and humble in heart. Most of you here listening to me, those around the country might not know this name as well, but certainly we around here know this name. Pete Frades died last December, December 9th, 2019, from Lou Gehrig's disease at the age of 34. Former baseball player at Boston College contracted the disease in his 20s and battled it for seven years. In 2014, Pro golfer Chris Kennedy introduced the Ice Bucket Challenge because of a relative that had ALS. But it was Pete Frades and his family who then caused the phenomenal to go, phenomenon to go viral, which resulted in over 200 million being raised for ALS research. But at the funeral of Pete Frades, the officiating minister said this. He said, the best way to honor Pete Frades is to imitate him. I would say for you and me that the best way to honor the Lord is to imitate him. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Lauren's going to come and close us in prayer before the worship team comes with a, a closing song. But I have a question for you. How many of you know that everything we're facing could have been avoided if people had just done what God said to do? God help us, his church, live out what God called us to do. Would you say these three things with me? He's called us to act, to love and to walk humbly with our God. God bless everybody. I hope you have an awesome week. Lauren, would you come? Amen. Let's pray together and pray that God really solidifies this message within our hearts and within our lives. One thing I would say an encouragement to all of us is that the end of that verse says, with our God. We don't do this on our own. We can't do this on our own. We don't have enough strength to have enough mercy on people. We can't act justly like God wants us to, and we can't walk humbly like he wants us to unless we're doing it with him. So may we really rely and surrender ourselves unto him. May we really rely on his strength and his abilities to be able to, through the power of his spirit, to allow us to do what Pastor Dave has encouraged us to do today. Amen. Father God, we just thank you. This is the day that you have made. We choose to rejoice and be glad in it. You are a good and a gracious God. You are so patient with us and we love you. 
We just pray that you would continue to do the works in our hearts, Lord God. Can we be the examples to the world of people who are truly acting justly? Help us to act justly in the situations and the circumstances of our lives. To be able to love mercy, to be able to show mercy, may that be our desire and priority over getting vengeance and getting our own way. Father God, may we humbly surrender our lives to you, that you can do what you want to do with us. May we achieve the calling and the purposes that you have for each and every one of our lives. And as we do that, may you be glorified. May this world around us be changed through the power of the gospel. And may you expand your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.